Well, this morning we are going to conclude a sermon series that we started some weeks ago uh, during Lent, uh, a sermon series around discipleship. We've been looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the things that we've seen and that we've talked about over these uh, many weeks is that when Jesus calls people to follow, he's not asking them simply to assent to some uh, intellectual, a few intellectual ideas, but rather he's calling them to live under his rule, under his discipline. He's calling uh, his disciples to be, in order to follow him, that they must seek after him, to become a student and an apprentice of him, to look to him for all of life. And we focused on these places where Jesus offers these words of invitation, if anyone. So we looked, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, if anyone thirsts after me, let him come. These are all invitations to follow Jesus, but they're also promises that as we lay down our pride and as we lay down our need for our own glory, we will find the life that we are looking for. And so this morning we're going to look at John chapter 6, another place where Jesus offers us this invitation and promise, if anyone, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So let's jump in. Let's look at John chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 41 to 51. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do now ask as we turn to your word that you would speak to us, that you would stir our hearts, you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would see and hear that which is true, that which is good, your beautiful words to us. And having heard them, having our eyes open, would you transform us more and more into the image of your Son, and our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I think one of the most important ministries that goes on in the life of the church is one that you might not be aware of, you might not have heard about, even if you've been here for a while. It's our meals ministry. Uh, this is, uh, w- uh, some of you participate in it, many of you participate in it formally when you sign up for a meal and give it to somebody, and many of you do this informally. You know someone is in need, and so uh, one of the ways that you care uh, and serve Uh, them is by bringing them a meal. But the concept is rather simple and straightforward. When you're in a time of need, when your life enters into some sort of chaos, maybe you've had a baby, maybe you've been sick for a while, maybe you just had a surgery, or you've lost your job, or someone you're caring for is sick or ill, people sign up and they bring you a meal. 
But as simple as it is, the delivery of the meal can be rather profound. Uh, because oftentimes, it's, the, it's in the midst of chaos, you find yourself receiving this meal, and it's kind of amazing. Maybe you could have gone out and gotten the food yourself. Maybe you could have whipped up a quick dinner, or you could have ordered out food on your own. But somebody brings you this gift, and you didn't have to do anything. It's just right there. It's all, it's all set up and ready to go. It's all been prepared. And one of the hardest things about uh, this ministry, and maybe one of the reasons why it kind of lives in the, in the shadows of our uh, church life together, is because it's hard to admit when you actually need this ministry. It can be hard to admit that you need help and you could actually use a meal. For many, maybe not all, but for many, it's the thought of putting people, putting people out, inconveniencing them, knowing that they're busy with their lives and why should they stop what they're doing to put a meal together for you. Or even just admitting that you've gotten to this place where you think, yeah, I could, I could use a meal. It can be really kind of difficult. Now, in our passage this morning, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Now, it on the surface is a rather odd saying. We'll dive into it here in a minute. But just taking it in is a, is a little bit weird for Jesus to say he is the bread of life. But he repeats this phrase several times. And throughout John chapter 6, he repeats the imagery. And then he actually intensifies it. So not only is he the bread of life, but he's the bread come down from heaven. And not only is he the bread come down from heaven, but he's the bread that if you eat this bread, you will live forever. And oh, by the way, that bread is his flesh. So he just intensifies it as he goes on. And now there are a lot of layers to what Jesus, Jesus is saying here. But one of the things that Jesus is making really, really clear for those who are listening, uh, the religious leaders and the crowds, and for us, is that we are to be taking our appetites, our hungers, our desires, and bringing them to Jesus. Our physical, our spiritual, our emotional hungers, whatever they may be, we are actually to be bringing them to him. And not just that, but the hunger and desire that you experience in your life, they're actually meant, they're intended to lead you to Jesus. They're there so that you will seek out the one who can feed you. This is all that he's getting at when he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that has come down from heaven. So just like when that meal comes at meals ministry and someone shows up in your apartment or in your home and it arrives at just the right time, when you're kind of desperate, when your life is feeling chaotic, when you are too tired, perhaps when you've been hesitant to admit that you actually would need such a thing, when that meal shows up and you're hungry and you're thinking what I'm going to do, it comes to you as such a gift. This is what Jesus' words are meant to be for us this morning. When he says, I'm the bread of life, he's coming and he's offering this to people who are really, really hungry who are really, really desperate for this meal. This bread, the life that we long for, has come from heaven into our life and into our world, and it is an absolutely a gift of grace. And so the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, will we admit that we are actually hungry and that we actually are hungry for him? We're actually longing for Jesus. And will we recognize that he is present with us and will we, will we respond to this presence? Those are the three things I want to look at. I think that's what John is stressing and, 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 and wanting us to see in this passage. That we're, John is getting us to, to see that Jesus wants us to understand our need of him, then to recognize his presence in our lives, and then respond 
to it. And so we're going to look at those three things. First, I want, to see, I want us to see that Jesus wants us to admit our need of him. He wants us to understand that our hunger is designed for him. So in John chapter 6, right before this passage, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. It's actually a lot more when you count the women and the children who are on the hillside. But Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and some fish. They borrow basically a lunch from a child who's there among the crowd. And, they do, and Jesus uh, multiplies the loaves and the bread, the bread and fish, and he feeds them. And at this point, the crowds following Jesus are growing in size. Because now Jesus has fed them. Uh, he's, he's addressed their physical hunger. He satisfied that. And now he's calling to their deeper hungers. Their deeper hungers have been awakened by him. Here's Jesus talking about eternal life, bread of life, bread from heaven. And so what Jesus is saying is that the bread I fed you, the bread that I fed you on that hillside just a day ago, where I I did this miracle, that was only an appetizer. That's only just a sign, a morsel of what I'm really going to do. I'm about to give you bread that will not fade away, bread that will not leave you hungry anymore. And so all throughout this chapter, what you find is that while so much is happening here, Jesus is showing us and teaching us and repeating time and time again that our deepest longings and our greatest hungers are meant to lead us to him. And see, one of the easy things I think to overlook in in this passage is you're reading about the miracle of, of the multiplying the bread and the fish and then hearing this interaction with Jesus where he's talking about the bread of life. I think one of the things that's easy to overlook is that Jesus doesn't send away those who are hungry. If you recall in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, when the disciples get there on the hillside, they find themselves in a bind and they want to send the people away. And it's Jesus who says, no, 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 let them come to me. I will feed them. So they're pressing in on him with their spiritual longings, with their physical longings, with all of their hunger, and he's feeding them. And so this is the point, that he's welcoming their hunger. He's not overwhelmed by them. He doesn't want to send them away. He welcomes them and he feeds them. See, the crowd's hunger for life and for food, for someone to come into the world and make all things new, has led them to Jesus just as it was intended to do. And in the very same way, for us, Jesus is not overwhelmed by your desires. He is not overwhelmed by your hunger, your desire for intimacy, your desire for love, your desire to make an impact on the world, your desire for security your desire for meaning in this life. He's not scared of any of it. He's not overwhelmed by any of it. This is what he means when he says, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. In other words, what he says is, I know your hunger, and I know what you're hungry for, so let me feed you. Let me nourish you and sustain you. Your hunger is meant to lead you to Jesus. So the question this passage asks of us, of of many, one of them is, where does your hunger lead you? Where is your hunger today leading you? Where does your hunger for acceptance lead you? Where does your hunger for intimacy lead you? Where does your hunger for success to make a name for yourself lead you? I think if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes it doesn't lead us to good places. Every 4th of July in Coney Island, uh, one of the traditions that goes on down there is the annual hot dog eating contest. This is the highlight and the hallmark of the competitive eating world, which in our day and age now is a competitive sport. Apologies to any of you who are competitive eaters here. (laughs) If you've seen it uh, or caught glimpses of it, it can be kind of hard to watch. It's a bunch of people standing up, men and women, 
shoveling hot dogs into their mouths, and they all have strategies, and they're trying to do it in a certain amount of time. It is tough to watch, unless you're a parent and you've got little kids and you're kind of used to that. But if you haven't seen it in a while, it can, be, it can be tough. But I think that's actually a physical picture of a spiritual reality that all of us do with our hunger and with our appetites. See, when we are left to ourselves, when we are left to satisfy our own hungers, what we do is we devour and we consume. We consume anything that is in our way in order to satisfy that hunger just like a competitive eater. We all have this hunger. We all make our major uh, life decisions based on these deepest desires, which is why you've been devoured by people who have used you to fill their own deepest desires. And no doubt, you've devoured others to satisfy your own longings. It's a distorted spiritual competitive eating. And therefore, so often our hunger and our longings lead us into brokenness, lead us into broken relationships and isolation and into loneliness. This is true if you're single. This is true if you are married. Because when you put all of your longings and all of your hope on an experience or on a job or most likely on another person, no matter how great they are, it will inevitably let you down. They will inevitably let you down. Because no matter who or what it is, They can't handle your hunger. No amount of money, no amount of success, no person can handle all of your desires. No matter how much you try, it will never satisfy. And then when we discover this reality, when we discover what we have done, we oftentimes retreat and we isolate. And we end up living this sort of alternative secret life because the reality that, we, that the thing that we have hoped for, that we've tried to devour, can't satisfy us, it becomes just too much for us to bear. And so this week, I want you to ask yourself, what are those deepest longings? And where do they normally take you? Again, spend some time reflecting on that and, and do it as you read John chapter 6. And if you need help trying to understand, okay, what are my deepest desires? What are my deepest hungers? then just look at the places where you get really, really defensive. Look at the places where the places you are trying to protect constantly, no matter what. What do you get in arguments over time and time again? Where do your thoughts go when you are bored or when you're simply left to yourself? That's where you'll find your deepest longings. But the first thing Jesus wants us to see is that our longings are meant to drive us to him because he's the one who can actually handle your hunger and your longings. But the other thing this passage does, it calls us to recognize the fact that God is with us, that he's actually here satisfying our deepest desires. See, in stressing that that he is the bread of life come down from heaven, Jesus is very intentionally using language from the Exodus. The Exodus was this time in history of Israel where, having been delivered out of Egypt, Israel was left to follow God in the desert. And God promised that he would provide for them. He would provide manna, bread from heaven. And the bread wasn't just a sign that God would feed them. It was actually God's very presence with them. So that even though they were wandering through the desert, even they were hungry on every level, even though their life made no sense to them because they had no idea what was going to happen to them in their future, and their intention was not to wander around in a desert for 40 years, even though all that was true, God was showing up because he was feeding them and nourishing them, and sustaining them. God was with them. That was the point of the bread. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, 
the bread come down from heaven, he is saying, my very presence with you is God's presence. God is here with you in me. And of course, the Jewish leaders he's talking to, they can't see this. They don't understand. They don't recognize it. Because in verse 41, they begin to grumble. And if you're familiar with the Exodus story, there's a lot of grumbling going on. So here, John's uh, giving us this, uh, another, another Exodus imagery of grumbling. But listen to verses 41 and 42. It says this, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? See, the reason we have trouble recognizing that Jesus is bread from heaven isn't because, we ha- isn't because they haven't seen him before or because these religious leaders think he's a stranger, they just don't know who he is. That's not why at all. No, the reason they don't recognize Jesus as the bread of life is because they know who he is. He's Jesus of Nazareth. See, the problem is they're too familiar with him. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know who he is. We know his parents. He can't be the bread from heaven. Now, again, the context to this passage is really important because the day before, Jesus, again, he's just fed 5, 000, over 5,000 people with this miracle. He's also walked across water. And now the crowds are coming to him. They know he's turned water into wine at a wedding. And these, these same people have now watched him heal time and time again and speak with, uh, with authority that comes only from God. But now that he's claiming to be bread from heaven, well, that's just too much. That's a bridge too far. And that's too much for the religious leaders because they know who he is. This is Joseph and Mary's son. He's not from heaven. It's their familiarity that makes them miss the fact that he is God's very presence with them. The bread they need, the life that they are looking for. It's all right in front of them and they're missing it. And see, one of the key themes in all of the scriptures is that we are made for life with God. We are made for God to be present in our lives. And even though sin has exiled us from God's presence... God has promised to restore us to his presence, to restore us to himself. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see hints of God's presence. Some of them are subtle, some are not so subtle. But even in the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve rebel against God, when they sin against him, we find God calling out to them, showing up in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. God wants to be present with them. And then as we've been talking about in the Exodus, God is present with them a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of a a cloud by day, and this manna from heaven. Then they build a tabernacle, and God shows up. They build a temple, and God shows up again. God was making good on his promise to restore his people to himself. And so now here's Jesus saying, I am the bread from heaven. Feed on me. Believe in me. And that communion that had been hinted at and previewed will now fully be restored. Because I am the bread of heaven, and the bread that I'm offering will never spoil, and it will never fade away. And so this is one of the promises that we are to cling to if you are a follower of Jesus. That God is with you. He's dwelling with you by the power of his spirit. It is a promise that is given over and over again in the New Testament. His presence is secured for us in the waters of our baptism. It is offered to us at this table of, at this, with this bread and this cup. It is sealed and secured for us always by the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. But all too often, the evidence of our lives leads us to conclude something far different. That it's more often than not the case that God isn't present, but he's actually absent. He's not near to us, he's far. 
and he's not listening to us. Actually, he's deaf to our prayers and to our cries. And so we spend a lot of time and we spend a lot of energy wondering where God is and asking if he will show up. What will it look like? What will it feel like? Wondering if we missed it. Wondering if he hears us. Wondering if all this time and everything we believe is just some sort of myth to help us get through the next day or the next week. Maybe just to make us feel better. Because if he was present, if he was here, and if he did hear us, we wouldn't be struggling like this. We wouldn't be hungering like this. And we wouldn't feel like this. But Jesus is telling this crowd, and he's telling us that he is here. And that he has shown up. That he is present. He is not distant. And he is with us, spread from heaven into our world. And the invitation for us is not to chase after or to try and earn or secure God's presence uh, in some way or form, but rather to recognize the reality of his presence is already here in our lives and to receive his presence as the gift that it is because he is here guiding us, nourishing us, providing us, leading us, and protecting us. Listen, the religious leaders couldn't see that Jesus was the bread of life the bread of heaven, because to them, he was just ordinary. There's nothing special about him. He didn't fit their understanding of Messiah. He didn't fit their expectations of who God was. He's Jesus of Nazareth. We know him. So they overlooked the one who could actually offer them life, and they couldn't see it. But we're in the same danger, and we struggle with the same predicament, especially when our hunger is overwhelming us. And especially when we are suffering, we miss God's presence. We miss God's presence in worship. We miss it in prayer. We miss God's presence in a conversation with a friend or a meal that is given or offered. We miss God's presence in something ordinary, like a bread and a cup at this table. Because our hunger is driving us to seek after something that is extraordinary, but the danger is we're going to miss the one who can actually feed us. We miss the one who promises to nourish us. So the call for us is to recognize God's presence, to open our eyes to the ways he's actually at work here and now, in your life and in our world. But lastly, we also need to respond to God's presence. All throughout this passage, Jesus is asking and inviting a response. That's why Jesus talks so much about how we respond to his invitation that he's the bread of life. In verse 44, he says, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And then he calls them to belief in verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. See, Jesus doesn't want them to just take, up, take this as information. Okay, noted. Uh, you claim to be the bread of life. Well, well, we'll decide if that's true or not. No, it's a point of obligation. You need to respond to believe and to put all of your hopes in me. That's what Jesus is saying. Because only I am the one who's bringing the life that you're longing for. And the way we respond to Jesus as the bread of life is to believe in him. To place all of our hopes, all of our needs, all of our hungers and our desires on him. And to trust the fact that he is going to feed us. That he is going to satisfy us and that he's actually here with us now. Now for those of you who are perhaps not Christians or are trying to figure out who Jesus is and and exploring Christianity, the call to believe, and any sort of talk of belief, can sound really, well, religious. And oftentimes we think, well, faith and belief are something that only 
really religious people do. And honestly, why do you need faith when you have rationality and reason to help you navigate through life? But you have to understand that the central claim of Christianity is that all of us live by faith. All of us are putting our faith in something that we think will satisfy our hunger. Faith in ourselves, faith in our career, faith in a political party or an ideology, faith in somehow that uh, the pleasure we seek will satisfy us, faith in reason or in science. All of us live by faith. And what Jesus is inviting all of us to do in this passage is to put that faith in the one place where all faith finds its home and where all hunger is satisfied. And that's in him. Now again, I I want to encourage you to spend some time this week reading all of John chapter 6. If you've read it or if you're familiar with it, you'll know that the things things only get harder from here. Keep reading and you will find that the grumbling that's taking place in this passage passage turns into a full-blown argument. Because Jesus keeps taking this imagery that he has bred, he keeps taking it to the next level. And it becomes offensive to leaders and even to some of the followers of Jesus. But listen again to this invitation. Verse 51. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. See here, Jesus is hinting at his death, where he will give his life for the sake of the world. And what's really interesting about this, the whole context of John chapter 6, is that after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with this miracle, the response of the crowds is, uh, is kind of astonishing. In verse 14 and 15, we read this. When the people saw the sign, that is the miracle that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain himself. See, they wanted to take him by force and make him king after they saw that he could feed them. In other words, they wanted to make Jesus king on their terms, not his, as though somehow they could domesticate him. They could grab him by the arms and say, come, you need to overcome Rome for us. They had a deeper collective political hunger to get out from, over, get out from under their Roman rule. And so they wanted to use Jesus for their ends, for their hunger. But that's not the kind of king that Jesus is. The disciples, the crowds that were following Jesus, the ones who Jesus had fed, they're going to learn that this is not the kind of king that he, is, that he is. Because one of the things the disciples would face, again, is that they would grow hungry again. They would watch as this king hung on a cross and was mocked and scorned by the religious and political powers of the day. And they would have to wait. And you know, there were some in this crowd who long after Jesus had died and rose again, long after they went back to their lives and went back to their jobs and vocations, and fa- they would face many more longings and a lot of hunger, both physical and spiritual and emotional. And they would have to say, you know, he fed us once. Jesus fed us once on that hill. And then he said that he was going to be the bread of life and that we would never hunger again. He promised to do it again. And here we are hungry. So we're going to have to wait. And we're going to have to trust in this king, that he is the God he says he is, that he actually is the bread of life. And see, in the same way that we can't devour uh, one another, with our own appetites, we also can't devour Jesus. We can't take him by the arm or by force and say, you need to do this. Fix this and fix it now. And fix it on my terms, in my timeline, the way I think it needs to happen, according to the way I see fit, so that it fits my appetites perfectly. Take care of this longing now. Satisfy this hunger of mine 
now. We can't do that. Just like those disciples couldn't do it after they went back to their lives, after Jesus had actually fed them. And as much as we might try and do that, as much as we might want to do that, it's actually a really, really good thing that we can't do that, that we can't dictate Jesus on our own terms. Because what Jesus has promised us is something so much better, something so much more beautiful than any meal, than any amount of money, than any person, than any sort of pleasure will ever offer you. He is offering you life, life to the fullest, eternal life. And with that promise, we are called to let all of our longings and our hungers drive us further and further to the hope for the one who can actually satisfy us, to hope for the one who can bear all the weight of our desires. And this morning, this passage reminds us and it tells us that actually Jesus' greatest hunger, his greatest desire is for you. It is that you would be united to him, that you would find your hope and your rest and your peace in him. That you would take all of your longings, all of your hungers that so oftentimes get us in so much trouble, that have us being devoured by others and devouring others and consuming our lives, that we would take that hunger and bring it to him. And so this morning, the invitation for us is to come to this table. Here is the bread, bread from heaven. It is given, it is broken for you. So you should bring your hunger, bring your appetites, bring your sorrows and your fears. Jesus is here. Respond to his presence. Respond to the promises that one day he is going to come and make all things new. He is the bread of life. And as you and I live this life, the promise now that we carry with us is that he is here to satisfy us, to nurture us, and to lead us. He is the king we long for. He is the king we are to look for. He is the God who feeds us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you great thanks and praise that you do not run from our hunger. You are not scared uh, or put off by the hungers and desires we have, but you invite us to bring them to you. So God, I pray that you would make us a people who look to you as the one who is the bread of life. And we confess to you, oh God, that so oftentimes we miss the fact that you are with us, that you promise to be with us here in worship, here at this table. And you bring other people into our lives to be a sign of your presence that you have not forgotten us. Help us to recognize it. Give us eyes to see. And then, oh God, we pray that we would respond to the promises that you, have, you bring to us, that we would believe and trust in the fact that you are the one who can satisfy our every need. Oh God, we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.